Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. You can't ask to become a meme, and neither did my guests like Andras Arato, or as you may know him, Hide the Pain Herald. The people of the internet started to call me Hide the Pain Herald before I became a meme. Nobody told me that I do smile painfully. Or Lena Morris, overly attached girlfriend. I was like, well, I'll just stare as creepily as I can into the camera, not knowing what was to come. But yeah, then changed my life. And now that Karen is synonymous with white lady using her privilege to harass black and brown people, what's it like being a Karen these days? I am a black woman with the name Karen, and that is by no means my behavior. At the same time, it's very frustrating to be called Karen. I'm Kyone Wolf. The ups and downs of being a meme. That's next on Audacious, after the news. From Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford, this is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today we're talking with people who've become memes, like Hide the Pain Herald, who's actually Andras Arato, a stock photo model who's smiling wide, but his eyes? Well, there's a real sadness there. An overly attached girlfriend who's Lena Morris. She entered a Justin Bieber song parody competition, and just a few moments of her wide-eyed face at the beginning of the video launched her into super memedom. And we'll talk with two Karens, one who's black and one who's white, about what it's like having their name become a meme that means white woman who calls 911 on black and brown people who aren't doing anything illegal. But to find out what life is like as a meme, we've got to define meme. It comes from the word mimima, which is Greek for imitated. Evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins introduced it in 1976. He said memes were similar to genes in that they replicate, carry information, mutate, and evolve. They're units of cultural information, ideas, phrases, behaviors. You may know them as photos or short videos, which have phrases written on them. And they're kind of like worldwide caption contests, but with no prize other than recognition. They can be considered funny, thought-provoking offensive. Zach Sweat is a journalist, editor, writer, photographer, and memeinator at knowyourmeme.com, which is sort of the Wikipedia of memes. They accept submissions from people who think they've spotted a meme, and they investigate the history and facts behind how they happen. I asked Zach to explain what all memes have in common. I think the like fundamental part of memes is that People, you know, not even if you speak the same language, like just the image itself conveys like a feeling or an expression or something that everyone can relate to. And it's just like an instantly like relatable, you know, concept that people can understand without any kind of prior knowledge or context. Another example of a, an easily understood meme is the success kid. It's a young boy, like a toddler at the beach, and he's got his fist out in front of him and he's got his lips sort of tucked up and he's it looks like he's saying yes everyone looks at that and they all feel the same way but you can caption it and say something else with it something funny something subversive but that face is universally understood 
Yeah, it's crazy. That kid's actually 13 now. Um, I'm about to interview him as well, him and his mom, because um, they have a pretty interesting history. You know, they've had some like politicians using his image for like political ads and campaigns, and they don't want to, you know, have that happen. And the usage of people's images um, is a big controversial thing with memes, but just sort of the nature of the internet, the internet's going to do what it wants. And usually the people that try to control their image and how it's being used are the ones that like them the least and face the most problems. Now you have interviewed a lot of people who've been involved either as the meme or the photographer of the meme or the mother of the doge of the meme. What are most people really happy in the end that they were a meme? Are most people like, ugh, okay. And what overall, what spread of reactions are you hearing from people who've been through this? Initially, people are just like shocked that their image is being spread in this way. And then they go into trying to understand it and they see more of them. And the more they're familiar with it, the more they sort of accept it and and uh, kind of embrace it. Maybe there's like a Elizabeth Kubler-Ross cycle of grief <laughs> that can be amended for people who have become memes, you know, some sort of support group or... Now that I think of it, there must be meme conventions. Of course, not now. But th- have there been meme conventions? Yeah, there was. I don't know if there's any anymore, but there was like RaffleCon back in the day. That was a big one. And R-O-F-L. Vid, yeah, and VidCon. Um, it was, I think it was overly attached girlfriend. She went on to become like a big YouTuber and really embraced her, you know, association with the meme too. So a lot of them end up meeting at these like conventions or they're invited and they sort of like all share that, you know, same uh, event in their life where, you know, they became a meme. So from there, sometimes they stay friends and they'll like stay in communication and stuff. Uh, Almost all the people I've talked to who were big, like early on memes, especially during like that advice animals era, they still know each other and sometimes talk and have like collaborated on things and done stuff together. Um, and like Bad Luck Brian, he, you know, did commercials for McDonald's and was in like a bunch of ad campaigns and stuff. So it's crazy how people are able to turn those things into, you know, a kind of win in the end. Yeah. And it's also kind of crazy how at any moment, any of us <laughs> could be a meme. I've threatened my friends now they work for Know Your Meme to turn them into memes, but... <laughs> <laughs> if only it worked that way. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. You can no one has been able, from anybody I've interviewed, has been able to force themselves to becoming a meme. It's got to happen naturally and the internet has to like sort of embrace it. Is there a way of life or a section of humanity that memes don't touch? I mean, as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, I mean, okay, politics. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, religion. No, I've definitely seen like (laughs) where, is there anything it doesn't touch at this point? I mean, like I was going to say maybe some super controversial things, but that's not true either. So (laughs) as we've seen with the entire coronavirus pandemic and pretty much everything else. Um, I mean, I saw memes very shortly after the Beirut explosion. So I don't think anything is safe from being memed. (laughs) I think a lot of things are like created in irony and some of those like social media movements, like the whole, there's like fake cancel culture things starting now, like the Paw Patrol where people are trying to get Paw Patrol canceled. That actually started as a meme because it was so ridiculous that it was like they're trying to cancel this cop dog on a children's TV show. So people started it as a joke on Twitter and then conservatives and some older people and stuff thought it was true. And then they started perpetuating that. 
and fighting against it when it was never really a thing to begin with. But then after people started seeing that, they jumped on the, no, we should cancel this. So it's funny how, and 4chan's notorious for that. They will create things like intending for them to have an outcome. I think Pepe was a lot of that too. They, they like sort of memed Pepe into extremism, even though it wasn't like that at all. And it played like right into the hand of a lot of people, you know, like Hillary Clinton demonized him, which is what they wanted to happen. So I think that goes back to like internet literacy and people not understanding where those things are coming from. I think they should most of the time just be sort of ignored in a way because that's like what they wanted to happen. And then it just happened. And now they're like, oh, look what we did. You know, like we memed this thing into existence. And some people say that Donald Trump was memed into the presidency. So it's pretty crazy. The power of memes, I think, will continue to grow too. So surrender to the memes and also <laughs> recognize the power yeah. of the memes, not only in quite literally affecting what we rally for or against, but also how memes reflect our fundamental human essences. Mm -hmm. I would say uh, for people not to take them so seriously sometimes, because I think sometimes that's where a lot of people get tripped up as they see stuff and they're like, oh my God, this is so you know bad and I got to like get mad about it and post about it online. But oftentimes I think that's what people want to happen who create those things. So it's just like you're just kind of feeding into their energy and like trolling is as prevalent as it's ever been. And I think memeing is just like another form of that. Give me the memes. I need the memes. That was knowyourmeme.com's Zach Sweat. And with no further ado, meet Andrash Arato, also known as Hide the Pain Herald, one of the world's most recognized and beloved memes of all time. I asked him how all this happened. It was a chain of unexpected events. The whole thing started in a, in a very ordinary way. It, it was uh, about 10 years ago. I spent a vacation in Turkey, and I make some photos, of course. Everybody makes photos in his vacation. And I wanted to show them to my friends and relatives and, and uh, uploaded them to a social media site, not, not to Facebook. Facebook didn't exist at that time. It was a Hungarian site. What a strange thing was that not only my friends saw these pictures, but a photographer saw them too and he contacted me. He told me that uh, he, he, he was seeking a character like me and invited uh, for a trial shooting. I was very surprised, of course, but said yes, because uh, I guess everybody is, is, is a little bit vain deep inside, uh, me too. So it, it's uh, not a common thing that uh, in the mid-60s, uh, somebody is asked to be a, a, a photo model. And these were for stock photos, right? Uh, for stock photos, yes. I didn't know that at that time at all, what, what does that mean? But he explained that uh, these pictures can be used for, for advertisements or for illustrations, and uh, anybody can buy the, the, the right for publication for these photos. He explained that uh, the, the message will always be positive. That's right. You said that you didn't want your photos to be used for anything political, sexual, religious. That's right. These three topics were taboo. 
uh, I have to tell that uh, during these photo shoots, I uh, had to uh, play different roles. For instance, I was a doctor in one shooting, and another one I was a university professor. Uh, for another one, I was a golf player, and so on. And uh, he made the photos. He liked them. I liked them too. And he made several, several hundred pictures. But after a while, I was curious what what these photos are used for. So I made a reverse image search to see the result. After the first uh, reverse search, I was happy because uh, I saw myself as a doctor in a in a hospital site uh, somewhere in the other part of the world. And that's pretty cool too to see yourself in the world like this. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, a few weeks later, I repeated this search, and then I noticed the, the, the first means, and it was unexpected. It was a horror, a, a shock. What did you see? What was, it a, what was the caption? Oh, uh, there were a couple of memes, because uh, somebody, an, an American guy, as far as I know, uh, has gathered my photos, and uh, he made some kind of contest between his friends. Uh, look, guys, uh, here is that old man. Let's make some fun out of him. Nobody likes if, if uh, a joke is made with his face. Me too. I, I want to, to stop it, but it was impossible. What changed? How did you go from a guy who is the model for stock photos, and there's a few memes that are not very nice, to being hide the pain, Harold. I, don't, I really don't know. I'm uh, not a sad guy. I'm, I'm rather a happy guy, even if I'm, I'm not an extroverted, uh, loudly laughing uh, guy. But, but I'm not sad at all. Probably. Uh, the fo this photographer who made these uh, photo shoots, uh, he asked me to smile, and he uh, asked for a broader smile and a much broader smile. Probably these were not uh, not natural. This smile, I only can guess that it was the reason why why uh, the people of the internet started to call me high, the pain hard. When I I've lived my my uh, ordinary life uh, before I became a meme. Nobody told me that I do smile painfully. <laughs> right. So it was probably a shock to you that people saw you this way. Exactly. Yeah, it was a shock. And it took about five years till I could accept, uh, accept this, this situation. And I could embrace this role, be, being high the pain herald. What was it that shifted you from being upset about this meme and not liking the interpretation of your face to, okay, I accept it. I am Hide the Pain Herald. What changed? <laughs> uh, I have a very simple answer. I discovered some fake sites with hundreds of thousands of, of, of followers. They, they used my, my, uh, my photo. They used the name Hide the Pain Herald. And uh, I realized that uh, I have no influence to the content of these uh, fake sites. And beside that, 
uh, a populated site like this might have some financial value too. And uh, that was the moment which, uh, when, when, when I started to embrace it. And, and I uh, said to myself, if anybody else can do this, I can do it too. And then uh, that was the point when I uh, set up uh, my first fan page. It's, it still exists in English, not in Hungarian. Uh, since that point, I, I, I do it by heart. Yeah. And so you have empowered yourself because you know that this is the way it is and there's a way to lean into it. And so you make a Facebook page. People can buy Hide the Pain Herald t-shirts. <laughs> oh, it, that's, this came later. At, at the beginning, I, I want to manage myself. But uh, I had to realize that, uh, that it was a bigger task that I can manage at my desk in my home. And I have a manager now. You were contacted by Coca-Cola, uh, the rock band Cloud9. Exactly. Had you in a song called Hide the Pain. <laughs> so you were in their that's, video. That's right. You've done a TED Talk. Exactly. In, 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 in Ukraine, in Kiev. And, and I was uh, invited in, uh, to the Hungarian version of The Masked Singer. <laughs> the Masked Singer. <laughs> I, was, I was singing in the TV. I had to attend singing lessons, dancing lessons. Totally differs from, from everything that I, I did before. When you are out and about and people say, hey, hide the pain, Harold, and they <laughs> recognize you and they want to take pictures and selfies with you, it seems like you enjoy it. Yes, I do. I enjoy it because I see that I can make people happy. So... When a guy comes to me and asks for a selfie, it uh, doesn't cost me a, a penny. But I make, uh, make this, this, this man happy for his whole day or maybe for, for his whole life. I don't know. And it's so good to see that, that uh, I can make people happier. What's been the hardest part, the most painful part of this whole 10-year experience for you? Uh, the very first, uh, the beginning, the period uh, till I uh, I embraced this, and now it's uh, too much popularity. Last year I was in South America, and it was really disturbing. So that uh, I couldn't take a step in the street without crowd coming around me. So uh, finally, my host uh, had to employ bodyguards to keep the crowd away. Incredible! I would uh, never imagine that that, that such a such thing uh, would happen with me. I know you wouldn't change anything. This happening right now in your mid sixties to mid seventies is okay. I wonder if you could go back in time to that first to when you first saw those photos with the captions and you felt uneasy about it and you didn't like it. If you could go back to that moment and give yourself some wisdom, what would that be? With my knowledge, knowing that, that uh, this will bring me so, uh, so much joy, experiences, exciting adventures, 
it was uh, my best decision in my life when I, when I said yes to that photographer. So don't worry. <laughs> By the way, do you know what was the sing? What was the song I I, I sang as 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 a masked singers? No, what was the song you sang? <laughs> don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Thank you very much, and all the best to your listeners of of uh, WNPR radio, which is as far as I know is the media for the curious. Wow. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly right. I'm curious too. <laughs> and me too. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Now our curiosity is fulfilled. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. See you. That was Andras Arato, and you can follow his adventures at hidethepainherald.com. When we get back... Justin Bieber's manager tweeted it. Very, very quickly, I realized it was much bigger than me. How overly attached girlfriend, or Lena Morris, got a lot more than she bargained for. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Stay with me. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf. Today, we're talking with people who've become memes. It's not something you can predict. It's certainly not something you can orchestrate. It can be thrilling and lucrative. And as our next guest explains, it can also be a pretty painful experience to sort through. You may know Lena Morris as overly attached girlfriend. Picture a very wide-eyed young woman sitting in her bedroom, staring directly into the camera, looking, well, a little maniacal. This one screenshot of her face became a meme that persists to this day, and it changed her life completely. She takes me back to how it all got started. So <laughs> I saw online that Justin Bieber was having a contest. He had a new fragrance out called Girlfriend. And he at the same time had this hit song called Boyfriend. And so he asked fans to do a parody of Boyfriend with Girlfriend lyrics. I think the idea was to have like younger girls and probably girls that could actually sing, but I thought that it would be a funny little video to make for my friends and family. The contest, you uploaded the video to some website and they sort of put it on YouTube through your account. So it going like public wasn't really my decision. It's just how you entered the contest. Then I uploaded it to my Facebook and that's kind of when it blew up. So how do you describe your face in the first couple seconds? Because that's what stuck. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty creepy face, dead in the eyes, staring directly into my webcam. I did like a few takes of the song and I realized in like whatever take that was, third or fourth or whatever it was, that there was just this long period of nothing at the beginning and I needed to do something. So I was like, well, I'll just stare as creepily as I can into the camera, not knowing what was to come. But yeah, then changed my life. If I was your girlfriend, I'd drive you up the wall. Question here with, yeah, I'd always call and call. I wouldn't call it jealousy, just looking out for you. Reading all your texts, watching everything you do. Nag, nag, nag on you. So all about your past. this video has over 20 million views. And that frame of your face at the very beginning of it was isolated and 
exploded as a meme. And some of the things people will see on this meme are things like, I sewed my name on your shirts in case you forget you're taken. I was looking through your text earlier. Who's mom? Mm -hmm. Why did you blink? You don't want to see me? So <laughs> the, the, theme is, the theme is reliable. Were there any captions that you saw that you really, really loved? I remember the mom one. I remember... I, you had dinner at Wendy's, who's Wendy or something like that. Right. <laughs> All the like really cheesy ones I loved. <laughs> well, as a Weird Al fan, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. When did you realize this is out of your control and it's massive? So, okay, so I posted the video the night of June 6th. I Before I went to bed that night, I knew that people were watching it that I didn't know. I remember like staying up all night with one of my roommates and well, we were in our separate rooms because our other roommate was annoyed with all of our excitement over this video. We're texting each other like screenshots of comments and like realizing that it was becoming this big thing. I woke up on the morning of the 7th and it was a meme. Like I walked out into my living room and my roommates were like, have you seen this? Like, you're a meme now. And then I think in the same like 24 hours, it was uh, on Tosh Poino's blog, which was a big, big deal back then. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I think Justin Bieber's manager tweeted it. Like, it was very, very quickly, I realized it was much bigger than me. Now, I imagine that there's a lot of feelings with that because recognition is cool plus this is something you made and people are really responding to it and that feels great right yeah and at the same time such an enormity must have also been really scary yeah yeah I think it scared me and I didn't even know how much it did or how much pressure I felt in the moment I was like enjoying it I thought it was like the coolest thing I the first video came out like two weeks before my 21st birthday. So I like went out for my 21st and was getting recognized. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Like, and I really thought it was also going to be this thing that just like lived and died real quick. And so I was kind of enjoying it as while it lasted. But I kept that mindset for a really long time, probably like, in the whole way through my YouTube career as well of like, well, this is going to die soon, or this is just temporary. And I think it put all of this fear and pressure in me that I didn't know was there until I really faced it head on. But um, so, yeah, it was scary. It was scary that like, I mean, my whole life changed overnight. It was like, is this my career now? Is this like, what am I doing? Where do I go? Do I move to LA? Do I leave my, like so many questions um, while being like the coolest and best and most fun thing that ever happened to me. So and so you've got all this good, cool stuff happening. You have income, you're, you can get a car, you can get the home, you take trips, you, you're kind of on top of the world for as long as you can be on top of the world. And you're posting videos every week on YouTube to keep this presence on, online going and probably developing your skills. And you started really struggling with depression. Yeah, I think YouTube and the meme and the pressure of everything just really brought it out. It's like something that was already there. It was a lot of pressure. It was a lot of like, I mean, I didn't realize, and my manager could tell you this, Lisa, like I didn't even know I was depressed for the longest time. Like I remember, I think it was like 2015, I was sitting in a hotel with my manager 
And I told her, I was like, I think you could hand me everything I've ever wanted on a silver platter, like everything. And I, I don't know if I would take it. Like, I don't know if I feel like it. And she was like, it sounds like you're depressed. That sounds like depression. And I, it didn't hit me for a while. The summer of 2014, I went to the doctor because I thought something was wrong because I was just like tired all the time. And like, I really thought something was like physically wrong. And he, we did a blood test and he's like, if this all comes back normal, like you might want to check your stress levels. And I was like, I'm not stressed. Like, I'm fine. Um, so yeah, I you have all these things. You're doing all this great stuff. How could you be stressed? Right. Like, how could I be? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that was a big part of it. It's a lot of guilt of like, oh, I, sh I shouldn't feel this way. So I don't feel this way. Right. Or other people have it harder. So oh, yeah. I'm not entitled to feel this way. Yeah. Seven years after this video launches, about a year ago, you post a really heartfelt, almost half hour long video, about 25 minutes of it is, is you talking and also playing private videos of yourself. Talk about that video you posted about a year ago and why you had to do it. That video was a long time coming. I mean, I had been thinking about it and I had tried to make videos like that before that point. But what I really had to do was go through the process of going to therapy and really letting go of YouTube and realizing like, okay, I'm ready to not do this anymore. I was afraid for a long time, like years while I was doing YouTube, like, am I milking this for too long? Like, is it time to quit? Can I not see outside myself? Like, is everyone looking at me like, stop milking your 15 minutes? Like, please get off the internet. And I just don't realize like, so I had to come to a place where I was also making it for me and not because I felt like I had to get off the internet or I had to do something for everyone else. And so once I was really okay with it, my therapist actually challenged me to record it. She's like, you don't have to post it, but just make a video talking about, you know, ending YouTube and see how it makes you feel. And that's what that video was. And I ended up obviously posting it. So yeah, it, it, it was good, but it did take a lot to get to that point. And one of the things that I really love about that video is how much time you spent talking about the importance of reaching out for help of overcoming your own stigmas. Um, and what I thought was even cooler beyond you just you saying this and expressing yourself this way was you played clips of a private video diary you'd been keeping just for yourself. You hadn't planned on airing any of these. And you're saying things like, where do I go from here? You said a few times, I'm feeling stuck. You said it feels selfish to be this upset when I'm I successful. Know. I don't know what to do. All I do is just sit at home and think about how one day I'll have it figured out, you know, but I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything to figure it out. This is just so frustrating because I'm finally feeling good. I'm finally motivated and I'm stuck. Like, where do I go from here? I don't know. It just feels very selfish. Why did you spend so much time talking about mental health? Why was it important to do that? I, there's a lot that went into it, but my struggles with coming to terms with my own mental health and a lot of it was around medication, which I know is a whole nother topic. But in those videos I talk about, like I cried in the in the parking lot of the pharmacy the first time I picked it up. But now I was like, I don't I don't want to take this like I don't want this 
I don't want to need this. It took so much for me to, you know, make an appointment with a therapist, then go to that first session, then nine months later decide, okay, maybe I'll try medication, then get on the medication, then tell my friends and family that I was on it, which was really, really hard um, by itself. And then to accept it in myself, to not care what other people thought, to really understand the value of therapy and that it truly is like I did there this thing in me then I I depression anxiety whatever it is I I felt it for a very long time and just thought it was a part of me and that's how it is and I didn't think it could get better and so to grow and learn that it could and to go through all of that to finally get there I wanted to sort of put that message out there for someone else that might have been at the beginning of my same journey of like look like I'm here. I did this. I know how it feels because depression makes you kind of feel like, Oh, nobody else understands. Like other people are depressed, but it's not like me. It's not true. So many people go through it. My story is not that unique aside from the meme part. Um, It was important for me to put that out there and, and maybe like kind of make a video that I wish I had had to watch before. You have 1.26 million subscribers. What did you hear from some of your subscribers after you posted that? Uh, It was nothing like I expected. I mean, the comments, which are public and anyone can go see them, are amazing by themselves. But what touched me the most and what blew my mind was the private messages that I got. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many. And I tried to read every single one. And it was all like such a similar story. And it was stuff like, and it was things like, you know, I was afraid to take my medication, but I took it because of this video. Or I was afraid to call a therapist, but I called one because of this video. Or I went through depression too. Here's how I got out of it. Or I'm in it now and it feels hopeless. Like your video gave me some amount of hope. And like, I mean, I was in tears after like just reading all of those messages. In that goodbye video, you also posted clips of interviews during the, the, the hottest time of this experience. And people are asking you, what, what's in the future? What's in the future? What's in the future? So I don't want to ask about your future, but I am curious. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> this was going so well. <laughs> I do want to, to have you imagine that you could send yourself a postcard on the day that you submitted that video for that contest. And I know you know, there's no alternate Lena for you to compare yourself to. It's not a matter of whether you regret anything that happened at all. But sure, if you could write yourself a postcard with wisdom, uh, a joke, a uh, piece of advice, <laughs> investment advice, I don't know. Absolutely. What would be on that postcard? Yeah, invest your money in all caps and a million exclamation points. Honestly, but I think I would, I do wish I could tell her to just enjoy it more while it lasted. Take more opportunities, say yes to more things. Don't overthink so much of it and just like enjoy the ride. Because she's 21, like she needs to have a good time, relax a little bit. (laughs) So yeah, I think that's what I would tell her. Just have fun. That was Lena Morris, who's been living in Arizona with her dogs and her boyfriend, to whom she is affectionately attached to, and who's been with her this whole time. 
after the break. There are victims of these Karens out there. So you, you make light that you're known as a Karen, but recognizing the serious nature of their effect on people of color, people who are black. I'm Kyone Wolf. This is Audacious. Be right back. This is Audacious. I'm Kyone Wolf, and this is what's referred to as a Karen. Get out now! There's three numbers I can dial. Nine one one. Calling police on an eight-year-old little girl. You yeah, and um, illegally selling water without a permit. Yeah, on um, my property. Yeah, I'd like to report that someone is illegally using a charcoal grill. Oh, uh, I need a description of them. What race are they? Um, African American. Please take your phone off. Please don't come close to me. <laughs> Please call the cops. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. I'm being threatened by a man in the Rambo. Please send the cops immediately. No, I want the cops here right now. No, I'm I'll talk to you. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to stay right here. Today we're talking about memes and what life is like being a meme. According to knowyourmeme.com, Karen is generally characterized as an irritating, entitled white woman who has been filmed harassing people of color, including dialing the emergency services on them for no criminal reason. This behavior by white women has been documented as long as there have been black and brown bodies for them to intimidate. In the Jim Crow era, they were known as Miss Anns. Flash forward to July of 2020, and San Francisco's county supervisor, Shaman Walton, introduced a measure called the Karen Act, which starts with a C, but it stands for Caution Against Racially Exploitative Non-Emergencies. That would make discriminatory 911 calls a hate crime. And in September of 2020, a similar bill became law in New Jersey. So how did we get to the meme Karen? Well, it doesn't have a really clear-cut beginning, and there was a line from Mean Girls, the movie, in 2004, where a character named Karen asked someone, if you're from Africa, why are you white? To which a character named Gretchen replies, Oh my god, Karen, you can't just ask people why they're white. That was turned into a meme. Another prominent and thematically consistent use of the pejorative Karen was in a Dane Cook comedy album, also from 2004. There is one person in every group of friends that nobody likes. <laughs> Example. Karen is always a douchebag. Every group has a Karen, and she's always a bag of douche. When she's not around, you just look at each other and go, God, Karen, she's such a douchebag. In 2017, the subreddit you Karen was born. And there you'll see videos of white women not only harassing mostly black people and people of color, but lately arguing loudly and vehemently against wearing a mask in stores. And did you know a group of Karens is called a complaint of Karens? So what is it like to be a Karen in a world full of, well, Karens? Meet Karen Hines and Karen Holland. Karen Hines is a black woman, and she's the founder and CEO of Workplace Success Group, where she's a leadership and diversity and inclusion expert. Karen Holland is a white woman who's worked in the field of deafness for over 30 years. 
I gathered with these two Karens in a Zoom room to talk about what it's like for them in this Karen-esque era. Here's how they got their names in the first place. So my aunt named me Karen. So my mom didn't name any of her children. Her cousins and every other family member had that privilege. And I was always told it was immense pure, which is unlike what we're experiencing right now. What about you, Karen Holland? How'd you get your name? It was my grandmother's middle name. So it was originally from the Swedish heritage, which there are a lot of Karens in Sweden, I think. Um, but it usually has an I in it if it's Swedish. and Mine doesn't. Mine's E-N. But yeah, it was, it was an honor of my grandmother. Now, before all this, Karen Hines, when you would think about the name Karen, and it meant pure historically, but to you, when you would think of the name Karen, how did it feel to you, that name? you felt good about your name, you know, it's something you embraced. And what I recognized you know, before the Karen means, it was also becoming a rare name. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Karen from the Caribbean and I'm a little bit older. So I didn't see many mothers naming their children Karen. I know they're definitely not naming their children Karen <laughs> now for sure. So I was always excited whenever someone would name their children Karen and I was younger, but you know, I had a sense of pride in my name. Past tense. <laughs> Karen Holland, what about you? When you, would, when you would say your name or you would hear the name Karen, what did it feel like to you? Well, when I was growing up in Massachusetts, there were a lot of Karens in my class. I think there were three or four of us with different last names, you know, but all, all of us are Karen. But still, I was, I was proud of my name because it felt, it felt unique and it felt like it really matched who I was. I always appreciated my name for what it was. So Karen Hines, you're the founder and CEO of Workplace Success Group, which helps organizations, among other things, build inclusive and diverse environments. And you are a black woman. So really, I, I, I want to know, how does all this feel to you? Because you're obviously not the Karen calling the cops on black people for nothing. Definitely not. I, I think originally, so my friends uh, make fun of me when the Karen memes came out, they started making fun of me. And even when I would start my workshops with executives across the country around what's going on right now in our country, because really the name Karen are for women, you know, white women who use their privilege and weaponize that privilege specifically against people of color. So here I am a black woman leading these diversity and inclusion uh, programs and I would always make light of it in the beginning, but at the same time recognizing that on the serious side, that there are victims of these Karens out there. So you, you make light that you're known as a Karen, but you're not really paying of what Karen means now, but recognizing the serious nature of their effect on people of color, people who are Black. So in a way, being a Black woman with the name Karen gives you sort of even more of an insight into this situation we're dealing with, which has been going on for a long time. Yeah, this very weird, you know, situation that we're in, uh, it's traumatizing, it's frustrating, it, it gets you angry when you realize that people who are people of color can't just live their lives. They can't go to the park. You go to the park, some Karen is calling, black people are here because they're barbecuing. I thought that was okay. You walk down the street, you get a phone call saying, you know, black people are walking around the neighborhood or somebody brown. And we've all seen those memes. So, you know, well, there's a set of the funny side uh, because, you know, I am a black woman with the name Karen and that is by no means my behavior at the same time is very frustrating to be called Karen when you know the damage that they're doing you want to say I don't represent those Karens they're not really real Karens they're not pure 
What about you, Karen Holland? How, when you first noticed this phenomenon of Karen meaning this awful thing, and that's not you, how was that for you? And also as as the mother of children who are multiracial and your husband is Haitian, how did all this hit you when it was all coming to terms? I was insulted at first because it, it's meant to be an insult. You know, and I, I was pretty blunt with people that I saw on Facebook or whatever posting things and saying, that's not who I am and I don't identify with that. So, you know, you might want to use a different term or, or be more clear in what you're talking about because you're, you're basically insulting anybody named Karen for no reason, you know. But then I, then I got over it. I mean, I saw it a couple weeks ago and I'm like, well, that's not who I am. So you can keep using it, but it, it's really not accurate for anything. It's just labeling a group of people. Maybe true, maybe false, you know? Yeah, I've, as I was researching for the show, I, I saw a few think pieces about whether or not calling someone Karen is reverse racism, which is a whole other conversation about whether <laughs> reverse racism even exists. <laughs> but there is an interesting sort of duality about calling a white woman Karen, which is a stereotype about white women, but... Karen Holland, as a white woman, it's not its not really hurting you in the opposite sense of actual Karens hurting actual black and brown people. Right. I mean, I am married to Richard, who's from Haiti. And, you know, I'm, I'm very sensitive to the cause and involved in anything I can be involved in with the kids and, you know, trying to raise them to respect everybody and know who they are, you know? I wonder if either of you feel any sort of I don't know if obligation's the right word, but a drive to change what it means to be a Karen. For me, I don't. I just, I show up as the Karen. I know who I am. I think for people who know me, and granted, it doesn't affect me the same way, but for me, it's just continually educating people on what I'm already doing for my personal and professional edification. That is helping people recognize that, that black and brown people matter. And, you know, we want equity and helping leaders to see the value that diversity, equity, and inclusion can bring to their organization. So the, the meme piece hasn't changed because I was doing that for the last 22 years anyway. So that hasn't changed. I don't feel an extra burden to clarify the name Karen. I think this is going to pass and another name will come up and another meme will take hold. It may take a while longer, but... Uh, just continue doing the work I've been doing for the last 22 years with our clients and, and my personal life. What about you, Karen Holland? Very similar. I, you know, like I said, I don't take it personally, so it really just rolls off my back. And um, my friends know that. So if they're posting something, they'll usually put in quotations, not you, Karen, because they know. <laughs> Hashtag not all Karens. That it doesn't mean me. <laughs> but I also try to point out, it's like, well, that's really not that helpful to anybody to be using that word as, as an insult, you know, or as a classifier of a bunch of white people that want to see the manager, you know? <laughs> right. And Karen Hines, like you're saying, it's going to be another name at another point in time, just like it's been another name previously. So I wonder, do you have a message for the real Karens out there? And when I say real Karens, I mean the ones that we're talking about. <laughs> 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 while we're using this meme what i find is brought light to an issue that has not been given center stage 
So it's brought to light an issue that a lot of brown people have experienced their entire life. This is not anything new. So I hope that if being known as a Karen will help people recognize that there's a serious problem. And I can be the voice of saying there are other kinds of Karens out there who are wonderful people, then fine, not a problem. But I think what it's done is given light and voice to a serious issue that's been swept under the rug. And because we have video documenting these Karens, it's one thing when you have someone saying this happening, but when you have the actual video and you see the behavior and the anger and the disgust in these people who are behaving as Karens, it makes you get a clearer picture of the magnitude of what we're dealing with. So, yeah, let's, I'm going to think positive. It's brought light to a horrible issue, and let's roll with that. Karen Holland, anything to add to that? I think that awareness is really important to know that there are people out there who are legitimately the, the typical Karens that people are talking about in these memes that will call the boss and will call on on someone who's who's different looking than them, who has a different color skin than them, and... It's challenging. I think the one thing for the Karens as well, they, they, they don't really care what you dress in. They just look at the skin color. Yeah. Brown and black, alert, alert. Let's go after that individual. And that's what we have to pay attention to, to bring awareness to that. This is not something from the 1940s. This is 2020. And it's very much prevalent. And it continues to happen at an alarming rate. And a lot of times with deadly results that we may or may not hear about, we're seeing some of that come to light now. So, Thank you. Is there anything that I missed that you want to make sure you say or we talk about? I'm caring out. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> not, not you. <laughs> That was Karen Hines. You can see her excellent diversity and inclusion work at WorkplaceSuccess.com. And you heard from Karen Holland, who's worked in the field of deafness for over 30 years. Audacious is produced by me and Katie Talarski at Connecticut Public Radio in Hartford. You can find more information and subscribe to our show at ctpublic.org audacious. Please share this show with your friends and send me your thoughts and show ideas on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Kyone Wolf. And you can always shoot me an email, cwolf at ctpublic.org and online use the hashtag audaciouspublic. Thanks for listening.